2: Hey, y'all, before we start today's show, just a couple of quick things about today's edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, a daily national sports show outside here in Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Um, It's Friday, so you know what that means. Every Friday on this very show, you get two parts guaranteed on every Friday edition of this podcast. You get College Basketball Weekly with Stats by Will himself, Will Warren, talking all things college basketball each and every Friday to kick off these episodes. You're also getting uh, the Preds Power Hour with uh, Brian Baston of On the 4 Check and uh, Flames Nation's Jeff Middleton to talk all things Nashville Predators on this Friday edition of the show. Those two spots guaranteed each and every week. So if you're a big-time Pred fan or big-time college basketball fan, and this is your first time checking out the show. First, welcome. Thank you for checking out the program. Uh, we cover it all. Sportsman and That's me covering a little bit of everything, but every single Friday, guess what? You're going to get Preds coverage and you're going to get the best college basketball coverage from the best Nashville Predator writers, podcasters uh, in the industry, along with the best college basketball writer and analyst go on today with Mr. Will Warren. Subscribe to you stats by com today if you're not already support Will and his publication there. You can also support the good folks over at On the Forecheck with Brian Baston by going and becoming a subscriber there at ontheforecheck.com. And then as always, you know, every day you might have some some new guests, you might have some celebrity guests, you might have some coaches, uh, sports figures, analysts uh, beat reporters, you never know who also might pop up on each of these daily episodes. Um, so look out for that in addition to the guaranteed coverage of the National Predators and the college best college basketball uh, coverage each and every week on Friday on this very feed. So subscribe today if you have not already done so. Don't forget, folks, if you're already a subscriber to this very show and you haven't already done so, the easiest way you can help support this show each and every day is hit that pause button, write us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify make sure you leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast player it helps other people find the show and it helps this show get a little bit bigger each and every day you can watch this show full episodes clips, shorts all that good stuff on the youtube channel as we continue growing that thing out as that's just booming over on the youtube page youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe there check out the homepage with all the information about the show and everything we got going on and uh bookmark that one chasethomaspodcast.com keep up with us on all the socials and all that stuff and if you want to get in touch with us and you have a question for uh will brian or jeff on the preds or college basketball for next week's show feel free to hit us up at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com all right uncle darren let's go
0: chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast <laughs>
2: um
0: my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right, hello, and welcome
2: back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. From still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything, school, HQ, over there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My good friend, the best college basketball writer today, Stats by Will, over there, Will Warren, Stats by Will, dot com. Subscribe today. It's college basketball season. SEC play, conference play in full swim. What are you doing if you are not? Uh, a monthly subscriber or annual subscriber to will warren substack that's why will.substack.com will good uh good evening sir how are you better introduction
3: than i deserve it'd be really funny if i started like name dropping like subscribers like one a week yeah but in the mix of like you know like relatively like basketball famous people it's just like guys just like yeah. random people that you know, like uh, Josh Warren or something like just making up a guy who's like oh he's a subscriber and you're like oh mm-hmm. man Josh Warren I think that'd be a pretty good bet.
2: Well, I, you've got uh, Tim Robinson still. You got Nathan Fielder. You've got some of the big dogs who want to just have some yeah. some takes and have some college basketball working knowledge.
3: Yeah, Emma Stone, big fan.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: Are you still watching The Curse? I haven't seen it yet. I've been saving it up for. Oh. This is this is nasty behavior, but. I'm saving it up for the end of the College of Basketball season. Oh, I know terrible, but I've been good at avoiding spoilers so far. But like when it's basketball season, I'm like writing five times a week. I have no time to watch Mm. like shows that I want to invest in and think about. Like the only show I've watched lately is Hard Knocks because it requires zero emotional investment. Mm. Just good background noise. And it's a likable like team and guy and whatnot at the top, but never watched it. I usually don't, but this mm. this was like, Yeah, Mike McDaniel's interesting, I'll give it a shot. And it's been pretty good.
2: I think it would probably surprise people how little non games I watch of stuff. Like I just totally I, I don't I don't really like sports movies. Like I love Friday Night Lights. It's an all time great show. Love Friday Night Lights to death. Um but I don't know. I just I don't I've never had that uh desire to seek out my, I want my entertainment to be different than my sports basically like my wife I'm mm. getting her through Twin Peaks right now season two like midway through and it's like I love Twin Peaks top 10 show for me all the time I, I, I adore David Lynch and Twin Peaks and um, yeah it's great to see her enjoy it and see uh, what I like I've seen it uh, through so many times but like we'll probably I'll get her through Firefly uh, one of my favorite mm. seasons of television ever I don't know if you did Firefly Way back in Never the day saw, with Joss I, Whedon. I did the um,
3: chaotic thing of seeing the movie without having seen the show.
2: Ooh, the movie that was Serenity. Yes. Yeah, but uh, no, it's fantastic. Firefly season, the, the lone season. It's one of my best. It's one of my favorites. it. Um, I'm such a geek with stuff like this. But I like Game of Thrones, obviously, and all that, like Star Wars. I mean, but like, yeah, I think it would surprise folks how much outside of like me doing the sports thing and watching my stuff is uh it's just not really sports it's not really a part of my life outside of that
3: that's me too though because
2: like so i
3: don't i don't do sports radio at all just not Mm. for me i don't really listen to sports podcasts unless it's yours and like mgo blog yeah those um and like i don't know like my father-in-law will be like did you see the latest sec shorts i was like no Mm. no i didn't I got other things to do Uh, But I am, I will say I'm a big fan, both for background noise for writing and just like to fall asleep to the, the high, like the sports compilation videos on YouTube where it's like Mm. the 10 greatest comebacks in NFL history. Amazing to fall asleep to the the history of snow in the NFL. Very easy to fall asleep to.
2: I do ASMR throughout the workday and jazz. So I like jazz is my favorite. I love Mingus, Coltrane, Davis, Bill Evans, all that. But I uh, I also love ASMR and I listen to I like I'm, I'll joke with people when I, if they ask like what is it what, where are you or what are you listening to I'm like I'm in potions class in Harry Potter right now like and you have the little bubbles <laughs> and everything like the scribbling like that's what I'm doing for like an hour like it feels like I'm in the defense against the dark arts classroom and it's fantastic I, I love 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 ASMR like Harry Potter and Game of Thrones and Star Wars stuff like never given that stuff a shot but it is oh, interesting. It's fantastic
3: I I'll also say I'm doing the very insufferable sports writer thing right now of mm. uh, re-listening to the Bob Dylan catalog okay. start to finish. Uh, I'm in a real dark that's period a, right hold now. Hold
2: on. Yeah, that's the, a long, it's 41 hours.
3: Yeah. 41 out. I do one a day because it's like, you know, it's my daily Dylan, uh, but it's, I, well, maybe it's my less Dylan. Cool than like, the, the sports writer thing of like being really into Bruce Springsteen, who I also do really like and have seen live, but
2: I don't think I can. I mean, I know born, born in the USA is him, right?
3: Yes. Born in the USA. Born That's to run. Yeah.
2: That's all I know. I don't know anything Springsteen. I'm not a music guy. And that always well, is like a turn off of people. But you or... like jazz though. Jazz is like your one thing. I, jazz is my thing. That's all I do. I don't like, I guess, you know what a big part of it is? I don't like music with words. Uh interesting. I just really like to chill out and uh, listen to some good saxophone or listen to some good uh, pen on paper <laughs> writing in the... <laughs> <laughs> That's that's
3: me. actually what we should do. Is we should uh, we're way off base, but we should collab on like the Excel playlist, or like the they like the work <laughs> playlist where it's like it's just songs without words, mm-hmm. but it's like completely different views of songs. It's like ping pong, but for,
2: like, for songs without words. Like yeah, just do yeah here's here's, here's
3: one for when you're on those V lookups, fellas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's one for where you're when you're doing some <laughs> conditional formatting. <laughs>
2: But I think that would actually be a nice little niche. I guarantee people, if there are some people out in the in the country in the orbit that would appreciate that. I, I'm gonna
3: get to work in this. I think this is just silly enough for me to waste 20 minutes on.
2: Okay, there we go. Um, will Warren, see, you never know what ideas I'm gonna give you on this podcast. Sometimes it's related to college <laughs> basketball and Vanderbilt. Sometimes it's about a working Excel uh, music playlist. You just never know week to week <laughs> on this very show. Speaking of things we don't know week to week, Will do. You, when is it gonna hit for you, like with some of these conference realignment stuff? Where like, I uh watch the second half of BYU Baylor, right? Like, I have it penciled in. It's like, oh, I want to watch this game. Top twenty five matchup. Uh, obviously, the uh, top... stats by Will six star game of the week. Yeah, so there you go. But I also look at it as like, oh, well, let's see, Mark Pub, Let's learn a little bit more about this uh, this BYU team, Baylor. How good are they? Because you know, it it feels like forever ago that they were just number one for two years straight and they were just a powerhouse and they're still good, but they they're just not uh, where they were at the the top of the mountain for a solid two year run and big hype and everything else. And then, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, right. This is a conference game. Like, has it hit you? Or I'm like, "Uh, it's so weird because it came up and I was like, oh, God, BYU is in the Big 12. Like, that's one of those where for football, it, it's easier to resonate, but it for me for whatever reason, I was like, oh look at this uh, Mountain West Big Twi- <laughs> uh, Big Twelve matchup between uh, and you you hear and it's like uh, B- BYU is now zero and two to start off Big Twelve play and you're like, huh, that's gonna take some some getting used to, sir. What what did you make of uh, the matchup and did the game live up to the hype for you, sir?
3: So well, first off, I, so BYU Baylor doesn't feel that weird to me. Now, Kansas UCF felt very strange. I thought yeah. that, that was just like, a, that's a really jarring one to see. But like with BYU, maybe I'm just used to when they were an independent in football mm. and they had like all these scheduling agreements where it's like, oh, they're doing like a home and home with like Texas or whatever. Mm. So I was like, okay, that's not that unusual. But like some of the, the one that's going to be the weirdest actually, uh, and it's already started to hit is like when Cincinnati is hosting, mm. because it's just like, culturally okay like if they're in a new conference whatever but when i'm hearing a big cincinnati home game like oh you're playing memphis or something not texas or kansas (laughs) it's just going to be really strange or like you're playing a big e school Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know that's going to take a while to get used to but um i kind of feel like i didn't learn a ton here just because, uh, so I've been anticipating that BYU regression a little bit. Mm. I I was admittedly surprised they lost to Cincy over the weekend though. They did just have like a kind of out of nowhere, poor shooting Mm. night. Um, but it's kind of like that game more or less reconfirmed what I already know about both of them, which is that like BYU is capable of some really great things, but is reliant on like, it's more about like experience and muscle versus athleticism. Like I, I look at them and they've got speed. Don't get me wrong, but I think there's a reason they don't really pound around on the boards much. They really don't get to the free throw line at all. Mm. Um, they're just not the most athletically gifted group of players. Uh, not just cause they're all white. Um, but Baylor, I, I kind of have the same feeling with them as I've had for the last two matches is that, uh, Congratulations on telling me you can be really good offensively. I have known that for a while now. Please mm. play two possessions of defense back to back for the first time all season. I'm begging, just one game where you guys are normal defensively, because I mean, I thought they tightened up quite well in like the final ten minutes of the game to bring it home, and it was crucial. It was a good win to you know move to two and zero. You avoid taking a home loss this early, not like a bad one, but you know you don't want to lose. Mm. Uh, And you get like a great game from Jalen Bridges, Jacoby Walters continuing to flash. Langston Love was huge off the bench for them. But it's like, okay, I already know Baylor can. I mean, Baylor shot 44 percent from three. I already know they're capable of that. But uh, you look purely on two point percentage. BYU won the two point percentage battle by 16 percent in this game. It was Baylor's second worst two point percentage of the season. They probably don't win if they don't get to the foul line 14 times more and if they don't go 10 for 23 from three, which is like a no, that's a no, duh thing. But they I, I just feel like there's a ceiling there until they kind of for both teams until Baylor either figures out how to play defense again like they did during the COVID season or until BYU doesn't have these stretches from time to time where they're going like three, four minutes without scoring. But I, I still believe in both as like top fifteen teams. I would
2: say. So you're certain both are still top fifteen. You're not wavering on BYU.
3: I, I'm not wavering on BYU. I think BYU is just sort of regressing to what I thought they were, which is like a four or a five seed, but not the one seed that they were starting to get a little hype as. Um, which is good for that. I mean, they weren't even objected to make the tournament, so a five seed would be a great season. Especially, in but a, they're in not. The we're
2: 12. not worried about a Big Twelve play just fall off a cliff situation for the cougs not really I, I i'm not there yet with them i do think that they're going to have an uphill battle to do
3: better than like 10 and 8 in the big 12
2: mm. um which if they do is, 10 and 8 bad. in the big 12 what do you think that leads them seeding wise
3: five seed okay. five seed because it, it is just like such a hard conference and so five seed because you'll be at about 23 wins and if you mm-hmm. got 10 conference wins that means you had to have beaten You had to have picked off like at least three or four quad one wins at minimum, if not more. So, that's going to be like a pretty good five seed ish resume. Uh, Though I was doing this exercise earlier today uh, on my lunch break when I was, uh, you know, scuffling about for ideas for blogs, Mm. Uh, and I always forget, like, for bracketology purposes, looking forward, you can't put BYU in Friday Sunday regions because they just straight up don't play on Sundays. Which is totally, I mean, it's just like a religious thing they believe in, but uh, gonna make their whole situation really complicated because that narrows you down to two regions they can possibly be in. So,
2: I'm well on the flip side, is this a good starting point for Baylor? Is there more top 10 potential upside with Baylor? Is there uh in terms of seeding where do you forecast them are they better than a 5 seed do you think going into uh conference play and what they could ultimately be, are they a big 12 dark horse um have you learned anything new from Baylor uh after this BYU one no
3: um I, well it's just the same thing i said like play defense for once so mm-hmm. and i'm to be honest i kind of feel like they're at peak value right now and not in like a they're about to take a Miami-esque downturn type of way. But right now they're shooting 45% from three. There's been one team in the last 20 years to do that for a full season. And, I mean, like, congrats to Baylor if they can make it too. But history is not on their side here. Mm. Uh, if that three-point percentage falls down to even, like, 40 and they don't make up for it with some improvements on defense – you're i mean that's not why the are same they so balance. bad on
2: defense is it personnel is it coaching is it play like why i don't are they think so bad? they've got ball stoppers because you, you mm. got
3: uh well the thing is your best rim protector is the freshman misi uh who's like not bad at all but he's a, he's a freshman he's committing a lot of bad fouls and he gets lost in space quite a bit i don't love him as a one-on-one defender as like a rotational help piece yeah but mm. one-on-one not so much and then The rest of the team, there's just not, like, the one guy you point to and you're like, that guy can stop you on the perimeter. Jaden Nunn might come closest, Mm. but even then, I don't see it for him, like, every single game. So, there's, it's just a way of saying, like, you don't have a Davion Mitchell on this team. You don't have, oh, God, I cannot believe I'm forgetting him. Jared Butler. You don't have a Jared Butler on this team. You don't even really have, like, an Adam Flagler type. You got to have, like... Flagler. Like the swing, like the wing type thing, like six four to six eight, where you're just like, this guy's not getting past me, FM. Like and even Mm. so like that Baylor defense in the COVID year wasn't amazing, but they entered the NCAA tournament just inside the top forty. Like right now, if you average Torvik and Ken Palm out, this one's outside the top seventy-five. Hmm.
2: I uh, I'm curious to see the Big Twelve and as this progresses been good win for Baylor. Uh we can say that. Mm-hmm. Um speaking of good wins here, you're having fun online with this win uh this week. Is Nebraska having a moment after beating the Purdue Boilermakers? And I mean you you had this before the year, that they were your sneaky uh tournament team here. I think people are starting to realize Nebraska's looking more and more like an NCAA tournament team here. Will Warren, um, what did you see from Nebraska this week and why were they able to beat Purdue?
3: Well, Chase, it's good to be right for once. <laughs> um, now, uh, So uh, first and foremost, Nebraska won the game uh, because they shot almost 65% on threes. Is that good? Uh, yeah, that's that's not going to happen twice in a row. Now, they, they more or less did that exact same thing against Wisconsin and lost by the exact same score, 88-72, because Wisconsin shot 50% from three. Mm. And, but it's not just that, like, so I, I think of it this way. I think you can tell your game plan against Purdue worked when they've taken more threes than twos,
0: mm.
3: especially when Zach Eady's on the roster and fully active and all that. Like, Edie, you know, still had an okay game, but it was just like, it's not what we've come to expect. He had 15 and seven, three turnovers, committed a few frustration fouls. and But most importantly to me, he only got off 10 shots. Mm. Uh, which is not really what you want to see with them. Because when I when I look at Purdue, then Nebraska's strategy was just double him every single possession once it touches his hands and live with the results elsewhere. Mm. Which, will that work for a full season? Probably not. Can that get you exploited in a single-game setting? Absolutely. Like, I mean, Purdue's got some decent shooters. Mason Gillis was really on that night. Braden Smith is a really good shooter. Lance Jones runs hot and cold, but when he's on, he's on. Fletcher Lawyer, same thing. The the thing being, though, if you force them into a lot of jumpers and just take away the rim stuff from 80 and they can't hit enough to exploit that, you have the door open. And, you know, 14 for 23, Nebraska certainly took full advantage. I mean, they shot better from three by quite a bit than they did two, which uh, tells you how sustainable it was. But it, it doesn't matter when you get that chance. And. You know, you take advantage. Casey Tominaga was like borderline unguardable in that game. Mm. But I think the the swing piece to me is Rink-Mast, the Bradley transfer, because mm. when when they've got the full five on the court, where it's Gary Tominaga, Mast, Williams-Hoyberg, all five of those guys can shoot and will shoot. Uh, Mast is not like a, you know, 10 three-point attempts a game shooter, but in a single game setting like this, again, where you're opposing five is not going to go above the free throw line. At any cost, you are going to get off open threes as much as you would like. I mean, we watched Purdue play Saga earlier in the year and Graham Ike, who is, I mean, certifiably not like a well-known three-point shooter, attempted six threes in that game. He hit, I think, two or three of them because every single one of them, Edie was not within five feet of him. Yeah, And so if you have a center that can shoot, it's exploitable. It helps ED and it really helps Purdue that Uh, They play in one of the more (laughs) shooting-averse leagues in the country, uh, the five. I mean, Mm. uh, the Big Ten is uh, going to figure out that centers can shoot uh, threes probably in about 10 to 20 years. So when that happens, I think it will be bad for them. But, yeah, I mean, it's probably unrepeatable. But at the same time, this is a team that's got a win over Michigan State. They've beaten Kansas State on the road. You beat Purdue. I mean – I would put their tournament odds at like eighty percent. I think they're I think they're gonna make it, which would be awesome.
2: Do they have potential to make make it out of the first weekend or no? Sure. I mean, yeah, the
3: it's I, I mean, like would I bet on it? Probably not, but the way they play really opens itself up to variance, which is what yeah. you like in a in the tournament of all places, really what you need. They play solid defense, um, but the key for me is 46% of their shots are from deep. I mean, if you hit 60% of your shots in a tournament game from downtown, you're winning. I don't care what the other team's doing.
2: Are we about to say like, we don't want Tennessee to get Nebraska in the first round?
3: Well, I. I but the thing is like, then you've, they have to make it out of the first game. Cause yeah. there'll probably be like a, I don't know, like a nine or a 10 seed. Okay. Uh, and we like, potentially get
2: them in the second game.
3: Yeah. But again, it's like Tennessee's probably I mean at this point with Tennessee, I'd rather them take on a big that wants to shoot instead of a big burly guy who wants to, you know, go down and ground and pound.
2: True. Um speaking of Tennessee, let's talk about them real quick here. They lose right. to Mississippi State last night, Will Warren. Tough loss at the hump. And one that we kind of saw was a distinct possibility. Mississippi State, much better team than Ole Miss. Um, not the same kind of uh, national love, um, just because uh, maybe the two different coaches and the play style, this, that, and the other. But Mississippi State, good team. Uh, Kim Pom, top twenty-five team. there. are uh, obviously uh, you've you've been on this for weeks now. We talked about on the podcast of just the the elite teams in the sport going down against unranked teams on the road, and that continued in a big way this week, sir. But um, what did you see that, uh, really went wrong for Tennessee, uh, in Starkville last night?
3: The, well, they played the first half of the game. I think that's what went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, if 10, I, and I think the physicality might've surprised Tennessee a little bit. My, my honest thought is it was probably, it could just be boiled down to first road game in a month and a half. And like, obviously you had the road experience at Wisconsin, North Carolina, but, We saw this with Houston, too. Like, it had been over a month since their last road game, and they really scuffled a good bit. Kansas, same thing. Mm. I mean, we've had – I don't love the AP poll, obviously, but, I mean, you have number one Houston and Ken Palm losing on the road. Number three, Purdue did it. Number two, Arizona did it last week. Uh, UConn has done it twice already. Now Tennessee's done it. It's it's a tough thing to win on the road, especially – when you know, not that I thought Mississippi State got lucky by any means, but you did have uh like a plus shooting game for Josh Hubbard, I would say. It's not mm-hmm. his normal thing. He had like an unusually good night, and you did struggle a bit with the physicality of the game. I was honestly um floored that the neither team got in the bonus in the first half Hillary's one minute left because they were playing that game like it was an offensive line trench war. It was insanely physical. The referees let way, way, way too much go on both sides, and then predictably, because they're college referees with thin skin, the second half was 500 fouls each. So, and it made it like it helped Tennessee get back in the game, but it wasn't very fun to watch. So, I I struggle. So, but the the moral of the story here is like I don't feel my I didn't like get very mad over this one. It was annoying how it played out, but. At the same time, this is a very good Mississippi State team that's going to make the tournament. Uh, Like Kansas just lost to literally UCF. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like the 13th of 14 Big 12 teams. So this is not like going on the road and losing to Mizzou or uh, like LSU or something. So, I mean, like, it's not a bad loss. It's just annoying how it
2: happened. But You got to be careful, though, with the double-digit loss theory.
3: Yeah, I I suppose, but... With state, that one was, you know, it's bad how it happened, but I think there's positives. You know, you got a great Ziggler game again. That guy looks Mm -hmm. like he's very much at 100%. But more importantly for everybody, Dalton Connect looks like Dalton Connect again. Like he, it's something, like something unlocked in his brain at halftime. And, you know, guys will have just plus scoring nights out of nowhere sometimes. But it was, it was like the Connect we saw a month ago where, Mm maybe he's figured out his own adjustment or the coaches have helped him figure out his adjustment to when they stop your first dribble, here's what we're going to do. I I would love to see Tennessee incorporate more ball screens going forward. Mm. Um, I'm cool with Ziegler running them, but it seems like it could be very useful for connect, especially against teams like state that run drop coverage. Cause you notice like Tolu Smith really wasn't lurking out of the paint. He needed to stay on the court. So he wasn't really interested in fouling unless he had to same for their backup Jimmy Bell so connect had open jumpers once he hit one you notice Smith and Bell coming out a bit and that's when he can blow by them and get to the rim if that's the connect you get going forward this is like a very obvious top five team
2: yeah and maybe but we've seen back and forth here I'm not ready to just pencil this in uh going but, forward for connect
3: but I, I I still feel okay about it because Like, maybe you don't get that connect again, but you probably don't get Josiah Jordan James three points and eight shots again.
2: I agree on that, but my Santi worry still, it's just we're getting closer and closer. And I just I think now he's just been so much of this program and I want to be careful with what I'm saying here, but I just think. DeLeon could do this and go through these growing pains. And if Santi leaves, you just slide DeLeon into this. He can work through this. Tennessee still wins a lot of these games. Tennessee's still a contender. If you see uh, Meshack playing the way he is, Josiah, uh, to this point, Joan is still making the leap that, like, I mean, maybe it's simply Santi will still get better, but Ganey should be out of the rotation, Um, who I've just been pretty dubious of uh, for, for weeks. Um, DeLeon's still just... I. I don't know. I still think they have a weird spot there. But what helps and makes you feel better for your Tennessee fan, it's like Ziegler's never looked better in a Tennessee uniform. Jonas I has never looked better in a Tennessee uniform. Tobey Iwaka has never looked better in a Tennessee uniform. Um, Jamai Shack I think, has never looked better in a Tennessee uniform. And now you have Connect, uh, turning the corner a little bit here. It's like everyone's not going to be awesome all the time. Like you're just not. Yeah. This is basketball. It's not how this works. But you have enough guys now that like I think they're. They're going to be really good and you can count on them. Like you can officially count on Ziggler. You can count on Adu. You can count on, I mean, up until yesterday, uh, Josiah Jordan James uh, to this point. I just, I do wonder about um, Vescovy because it's just the shooting is still not there. And he does other stuff that helps this team win that aren't going to come up in the stat sheet. But I do wonder if that's something to monitor him and Ganey and uh, what that means for Cam Carr and Brady uh, DeLeon over the next couple of weeks. I wonder if Barnes opens that up a little bit more.
3: See, I, I'm not as worried about Vescovy just because there's data to point too, with like, he's gone through these slumps before for it, four years long? of data. Not this long, but like four years of data beats like if you're talking about DeLeon taking anybody's minutes, it's gainy for me just because mm-hmm. I think he's kind of hit the wall of like this isn't the big south anymore and he's it could just do him a good to maybe take a game off and reset his brain a little bit. I know shooters shoot, obviously, but he's seven for his last 34 from three. Whereas, like, at Dillion, at least there, you don't lose the defense that Vesco brings because Vescovy is still an amazing on-ball defender. Mm. Dillion De is an atrocious defender, but he brings a lot of offensive upside.
2: I... We'll see. I, I I'm excited for this game. This is your Super Bowl and the SEC play here. The Mike White stuff. The because there's a lot of Georgia fans who are very excited about this start for for the 72 ranked uh, Kim Palm Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, that'd be that'd in.
3: be sick if they could point out their best win. Well, <laughs> uh, let me hear it. Because because uh, Wake Forest by three at home is um, not not amazing. I mean, they just lost to FSU.
2: I need Tennessee to beat Georgia by a lot on Saturday. I, I think they,
3: that feels like a game where So uh, it, this is like the classic SEC game of like team is like quote unquote overachieving. They aren't, by the way. Mm-hmm. They were 57th preseason in Ken Palm. They're 72nd now. Big mm-hmm. overachieving job there. Uh, <laughs> team comes in on the road. They lost. So according to the field of 68's logic, they stink now. Um, and we see this in like college basketball all the time. Uh, this is leading directly to like a double-digit UT win mm-hmm. where like probably UT scuffles for like 25 minutes and it's like, oh, we're Tennessee and they're Georgia. Mm. And it's and it's like 75-63 or something.
2: I could see it. Uh, Will Warren, bubble bump. Oh, this is a fun uh, thing I think we should do with the, the schedule very much underway and a lot of teams figuring out if they're going to be on the right side or the wrong side here. Bubble bump. Which school is less on the bubble, either positively or negatively, based on their body of work since our last pod for you this week? Who do you you want to highlight?
3: Well, it's got to be Nebraska for the positives, right? Mm. I I mean, they're still, like, quote-unquote, on the bubble. Like, we're 16 games in. They haven't done anything yet, really. But you... The, when your losses right now are road Creighton, admittedly they got smashed, uh, road Wisconsin, same thing. And then road Minnesota, or sorry, Creighton was at home, but still same thing, quad one loss. Mm-hmm. You know, road Minnesota's, Minnesota doesn't look too bad. And now you've got wins over NSU and Kansas State and a win over Purdue, like kind of quietly, Nebraska has three quad one wins at the moment. And they didn't have a very good non-conference schedule outside of the Creighton game. Like the or Creighton and Kansas State, the third best opponent here is Duquesne or mm. Oregon State. Not a good non-conference schedule, but if you continue to pile up wins in the Big Ten, I think if they can get to twelve plus conference wins, they're they're in without much much of a sweat. The team that's taken a real negative turn for me, um, you could pick one of two, and I'm going to go with the one that um, I guess I'm less upset by is Miami. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Uh, This team's not making an NCAA tournament.
2: Officially, you're out on Miami.
3: I've been out since the start of the season because I thought they were dramatically overrated because of one four-game sample. But Mm. um, the reason that I'm picking them over Colorado, who also had a really bad week, by the way, is Miami lost to Colorado by 27. So automatically, Colorado's stars a little brighter there Mm. miami actually started off last week really well they beat clemson by 13 at home and i was like okay i can kind of see this and a road loss at wake is nothing bad like overtime loss big whoop wakes pretty decent um losing at home to louisville is like going home and looking in the mirror and being like oh god what have i done that's that's as bad of a loss as any ncaa tournament team might have this whole season save for like FAU losing to Bryant or whatever, Mm. because I mean, not only did you give Kenny Payne some air, which is like a really hard thing to do now. Like you, like, think about this. You did something, uh, that Chattanooga, DePaul and Arkansas state all did not do. You lost to Louisville. Yeah. That's bad, man. Like that instantly, is just like such a huge drag to the point of like not a must win because they're so early in the season, but I don't think people realize that Saturday's game at Virginia Tech is like you kind of have to win that game to avoid playing catch up over the next month and a half.
2: Were they in Kimpom right now?
3: Uh, Miami is, they're well down. Miami is 62nd. They are a spot below Grand Canyon. Hmm. Uh, When you're when you're ranking partners are Grand Canyon and North Texas, probably not good for you.
2: Well, North Texas made the tournament. They've been spicy.
3: Grand Canyon will, too. But yeah, uh, the the point being of like, you're not one of the 50 best teams in the sport right now. And you started the year like AP 12 or something.
2: Big fall. They're kind of like this year's North Carolina a little bit.
3: Yeah. North Carolina was less overrated than they were. But I digress. Mm -hmm. Will Warren, just spicy. Um, uh, I support Ken Pomeroy's take on the uh, the media apparatus with Miami. I'm begging some people to look inward. <laughs> Ken, uh, so, I mean, Ken's was kind of mean, though, I will admit. It was a little harsh.
2: Um, Malik Mack talk. What say you about the Harvard wonder? And is Harvard a sneaky, just like, oh, D- if they win their tournament... They win the Ivy is Harvard. Someone that uh, a number one seed does not want to play in round one this year.
3: I don't know that Harvard wants to play Harvard right now. They're just mm. not. I, so the thing is like Malik Mack is amazing. Yeah. Justin Mopara, who's like his partner in crime there at, at a center is also incredible. But the, the Mac thing is fun just because it's a freshman. We never really see Ivy freshmen stand out the way he has. He did have a very bad game against Princeton, but Princeton's mm. like really good this year. Um, I I don't trust this team as far as I can throw them, just not far. So in case people have forgotten, the Ivy's got like a weird structure for mm-hmm. their conference tournament. It was like pulling teeth to ever get them to do a conference tournament in the first place, and now that they do, it's a 14 conference tournament.
2: The top they don't even do it. the FCS playoffs. They're they yeah. don't compete. They're they're weird,
3: but mm-hmm. you know, Harvard uh, is projected to be fifth, so they've got some uphill battles to do just to get in the tournament. But if they can make it, if you have a score like that on your side, you got a chance. You know, all it takes is a couple of good games. And this guy basically single-handedly beat UMass earlier in the year. For people is... that
2: aren't watching Malik Mack in Harvard, which I don't think a lot of folks are, why yeah. should they watch Malik Mack and what makes him one of the most fun uh, unseen guards right now in college basketball?
3: Well, let me just give you some stats. 19 points a game, 4 mm-hmm. rebounds, 4 assists, and 45% from 3. I did not look this up before, so I'm gonna have to do it now. But I cannot imagine the list of freshman players who have gone 18, 4, and 4 ever is very high. Yeah. So let's we'll do a little live on air check here. Mm. 18, 4, and 4. And 45% from three at that. Like that. So that's like the underrated bit of it to me is Mm. you can score a lot of points, but being efficient. He's scoring a lot of points, and he's very efficient which is
2: pretty cool. I like All right, it.
3: Here's here's your results. Mm. Uh, uh, that makes sense. Last guy to do it in a full season was Cole Anthony.
2: There is some Cole Anthony there
3: too. Cole Anthony. What, what's actually interesting here. You're going to love this list and I'm just uh-huh. going on guys who've played 20 or more games. So I'm, I'm excluding Streef Cooper. Cause that's a really small sample size. Sharif
2: Cooper, man. Yeah.
3: Rest in peace. Atlanta,
2: um, <laughs> Atlanta Hawks legend.
3: What, do, do the do the Hawks have a G League team?
2: Yes, he was uh, on the Skyhawks. He was the College Park Skyhawk, and the man put up buckets uh, for the Skyhawks.
3: That sounds about right. But there are okay, some this... people who
2: are just penciling him in. It's like we do Trey Young for thirty six minutes, and then we do twelve minutes for Sharif Cooper, and we're just always going to have a guard who can just put up buckets whenever <laughs> they want. It's just going to be seamless. It's going to be great.
3: the The list of freshmen who've done it before him, though, is like kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. i'm just going on guards because i don't think the forwards are very useful for this task Mm -hmm. cole anthony markel fultz dennis smith jr d'angelo russell and rodney stuckey wow say say what you want about the quality of those guys but those are all five like
2: those are all nba players players.
3: with with like six plus year careers so Hmm. malik Mack at harvard keep an eye on him
2: i like it um Final one before our stats that have caught your eye this week: uh, Will Warren, Bart Torvik, don't lie. We can also adjust this for Kim Palm, don't lie. South Carolina: Do the stats lie, or do they tell the real story of who the South Carolina Gamecocks are this year?
3: I think they're pretty real, and I you could almost—I I won't go this far—but you could almost argue that they're a little underrated, um, mm-hmm. because obviously they've taken a bit of a hit by getting blown out at Alabama which is like you play Alabama and that's always like on the table mm-hmm. just because of how many threes Alabama takes. If they're hitting then oh, could be curtains for you. But, um, no, I like this group a lot. Like it, they don't have many great wins. The best one's Mississippi state. The second best is grand Canyon. But I mean, they kind of quietly again, three quad one wins, no bad losses, 10 and O versus quadrants two through four right now. Um, I like this team. I like what Lamont Paris has done. They're a lot tougher defensively this year, 26th or twenty sixth lowest two point percentage allowed. And it kind of fit my addition by subtraction thought in the preseason of like, we'll see how Gigi Jackson does in the NBA. But there were, when I was doing the previews last year for Tennessee, I do not recall a player who had a larger uh, negative on off impact than Gigi Jackson. It was like, Mm. he was 22 points in the red. Per 100 possessions versus not playing him. And it was almost entirely on defense because the guy just straight up didn't care. Mm. Um, this year, I think that has been remedied. They care a good bit more. The and it just it flows a lot better now that they've got the offense running through Michi Johnson and BJ Mack. Uh Mack the Wofford transfer, he's adjusted quite well 13 and 5. But Michi, that dude is just a baller. I love watching him play. He's clearly figured it out as a lead guard. Something clicked for him, especially in conference play last year. And it's like he's really carried it over this year. So I I don't know that I can commit to them as a tournament team just yet. But this is going to be the first year in a minute where I feel like it's going to go down to March for them to make the tournament. They're going to have a real shot.
2: Yeah, and I, it's it's interesting because Lamont Paris was kind of like an... Oh, well, you didn't really know which way that was going to go. And obviously a really rough first year because um, he he was just kind of he was kind of green, right? Like you just didn't know what you were getting. And this is a big jump up from UT Chattanooga to South Carolina. South Carolina is just a hard job um, yeah. in basketball. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just a tough job. And so,
3: uh, you can call it almost the SEC's Nebraska.
0: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think
2: Georgia might be the SEC's Nebraska.
3: Yeah, I guess historically that's probably more accurate.
2: But I don't know who Dennis Felton is in this analogy, but... um, <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> He'll always have that Atlanta run, an all-time great SEC run.
3: Do, do you? This is horrible to say like this. So feel free to knock it out. Do you think there's ever been a guy happier a tornado happened? <laughs> I'm serious. It got him a whole extra year. It got him a whole extra. He it could be no person on earth is happier that a tornado has happened. Mm-hmm. You, you, I don't think he would say this, but like, <laughs> let's be honest here
2: it really did work it's so funny like that was just like the man the thing just it, it you'll never forget it asking george fan they're like that one year he freaking won the tournament and that he just goes on this great run and then we have dennis Feldman for another year um the, great, the great
3: news the great news i found out is that they have an sec stories about it on espn plus mm-hmm. uh and there's like because the only footage on YouTube that I'm aware of is like really nasty 120 P stuff or whatever, where it's like, you can barely make out the ball going in mm-hmm. the, the game tank shot in that game. Um, but in the CC stories thing, it's like borderline HD. And I was like, Oh, awesome. Can finally relive this a little bit. Cause I remember watching that live and it's like, Oh, they, the tornado just hit the arena.
2: Yeah. Well, I was living in Atlanta. I mean, obviously I, I'm, I grew up there and all that. And, I remember. Were,
3: were you near the dome at that time, or no?
2: We were keeping up with it because it was. Ner- it was. We were getting the storms. Like, because I lived. Um, I was actually at like a weekend away. I was at like some camp or something. Um, and we were because I was watching the SEC championship or the SEC tournament, and I just have a distinct memory of it, and then seeing like the outside of um the, the of uh, Phillips Arena because it's now State Farm, but it, back when it was Phillips and everything, and this destruction and it was crazy here um i just remember like the sounds and all that and the branch i just have a distinct memory of that whole weekend and georgia running like it just for whatever reason there are certain things that just stick with you i mean the ice storm in 98 for your tennessee titans and uh um the rams like watching that at my grandparents house and uh getting over because we didn't have power so we make the trek over and the dome is just cold like there's just certain things you remember like atlanta's had a lot of crazy storms like i was stuck in snow apocalypse uh for a couple <laughs> years ago that. um yeah no there's all kinds of stuff
3: that so i i was i was curious about that just because like i i remember that but a real core memory is um we went it was like my spring break in high school mm. and we were driving to uh hilton head south carolina mm. and keeping up with the tennessee arkansas game on my mom's
2: blackberry
3: by refreshing
2: the box score i love kids that. these
3: days truly do not know the pain
2: no like, they're, yeah, it's just not weird. Like, there's just no there were no options. Like, I'm yeah, that's it's not the same. Uh, Will Warren, stat that has caught your eye this week as we wrap up here tonight.
3: Well, luckily, this was part of a preview, actually. Um, So I got curious because, you know, Tennessee played Ole Miss or played Ole Miss Saturday. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss came into that game shooting 41 percent from three. And I just got curious because I kind of got, a, not like a spat, but like I did a dumb snark tweet and the guy got mad about it with a Michigan State mm. reporter of all people um, about how MSU went from shooting 27% from three in November to 45 in December. Just like, okay, great. Um, you're going to love this thing called sample size, man. Um, big, big new discovery. But I just got curious because I was like, Ole Miss is not a 41% three-point shooting team. That's not real. Mm -hmm. So post-COVID, or actually not uh, post-COVID, 2019-20, because that's when they moved the three-point line back um, to the international distance of 22 feet, there's been 42 teams who have shot 40% or better in November and December. What would you guess the average three-point percentage of those 42 teams is from January onward? And what was it before? The average was 41% for those 42 teams.
2: I'm going to say, because you're asking me this, I'm going to say 28%. I wish. 34. 34. Mm. Which I was going to, because the league average is 35. And I'm like, I bet you it's pretty low. Okay.
3: But possibly more interesting. So the 30 worst shooting teams, which is largely just like teams shooting 26% or worse. Mm-hmm. Their November, December average is 24.8%. Huh. January onward, 33%. That's a 1% difference between the very best and the very worst of the first two months of the year. So let me read for you. So I got it pulled up Uh the, uh, nine teams who qualify this year for 40% or more Mm -hmm. Baylor, 47%. We discussed Dayton, Kentucky, Indiana state, Miami, which quite alarming. McNeese, Colorado, Ole Miss and Samford. Huh. History tells us, based on the fact that two of the 42 shot 40% the rest of the way, that none of these teams are going to top, or these nine teams have already peaked, basically. Huh. So there's something for you. And then on the flip side, you can look for poor Houston Christian who shot 21% from three in November and December to get a little bit better.
2: I like it. Uh, Will Warren, what can the good folks check out from you over at that's why this week? Well, you know, now that I've been re
3: inspired by hopefully sleep, that whole stat I just told you is just going to be like a quick 500 word article in a Twitter graphic for engagement purposes because I do love my engagement. You do love engagement. Um, I do love engagement. Big I'm married big, guy over like, there, big CBK report guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Big uh no don't want to put anyone on blast, so I'm not gonna do that. Um no, I'll do that. We've got our weekend watch list coming up. Let me tell you, folks, you got nothing to do Saturday night at eight p m. Flip on Fox, Indiana, Iowa, and in women's basketball, Mackenzie Holmes versus Caitlin Clark. That is elite hoop right there, baby. Um,
2: Caitlin Clark, that four point play she had did you see it like just yes, unbelievable oh stuff.
3: So I was telling my wife earlier this week that I was, I wouldn't have made any sense for them to do it, but I wish that Tennessee had scheduled them like once in the last three years Mm. so that I could have gone to see her play and I might still try and do it, but it's just like, it kind of seems like it's at peak Caitlin at the moment where you're going to be overpaying to go see a game. Yeah. But we'll see. No, we got that Tennessee previews. The Vanderbilt series is going to get restarted next week. So we've got that coming to plenty down the pipe. People have got article ideas. I love hearing them. Uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff coming. We're we're in like the beautiful, like mini run of people being like, oh, yeah, college basketball exists because college football ended Monday. Mm. But this, the big run is after the Super Bowl. When the Super Bowl happens, then we're cooking.
2: Then we are cooking. Wait, well, stop one second. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send you
3: a tweet in our little chat here. Mm -hmm. I need you to see this graphic. This is about Terrence Shannon's court hearing. Please let me know when you've seen this graphic. I don't know. Uh... What? (laughs) What? Instant Pantheon graphic. Instant. (laughs) put this in the show notes please i pray they don't delete it what thank you uh fox illinois for your blessing
2: wow um there you go will warren always a pleasure (laughs) I'll talk to you next it's week.
3: That's an instant pantheon next to uh, the Greg McDermott um suspended for racism graphic on Fox or whatever it was. Yes. Or in the, the Sam Darnold mononucleosis one.
2: Oh my gosh. Wow. All
3: right. Anyway, follow Stats
2: by Will on Twitter. Bye. Stats by Will on Twitter. Stats by dot com. Subscribe today. Will Warren, always a pleasure. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Summers Podcast. From still the aforementioned Chase Summers coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ, where a certain Tennessee linebacker uh, hails from. The Gainesville Red Elephants, Jeremiah Tlander, played a lot of ball for Tennessee down the stretch, who I like a lot. And the guy coached him, and uh, the guy is coaching one heck of a program down there in Gainesville, Georgia. The Gainesville Red Elephants head football coach, Josh Niblett. Josh good morning sir how are you
4: good morning chase appreciate you having me on buddy i hope you're doing well and uh it's exciting once you emailed me and asked me to come on the show so i'm looking forward to it
2: well i love talking ball with you man you're you're uh, you're very real you're very honest and you're just you're building a different kind of program and look Gainesville uh is a is just a rising juggernaut uh in uh in the state of georgia and uh we'll get into some classification and region changes that i want to pick your brain about but um, I mean, it's been two great years, but my first question to you, sir, based on what you saw now that two seasons are in the books here, uh, at Gainesville, has it gone just about what, how you expected it to go? Or are you satisfied with your first two seasons? I understand no titles yet, but are you satisfied just through two years? How's
4: well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I mean, we're never satisfied, but I mean, I think mean, anytime you're a competitor, you want to win championships. I think the last time you and I talked was probably... April, um, mm. of 22. Um, yep. and so, you know, we were just getting ready to embark on spring ball. I mean, which, you know, was a huge deal, um, with us coming in in January and, and that went well. And then, you know, we had a great summer and kids kind of learned exactly the culture we were looking for. Um, and then, you know, we went into that season, you know, I didn't know exactly just cause I don't know a lot of the landscape in Georgia. Um, mm. but I just knew, hey, we're going to focus on us because that's all we could control. Our kids trusted in what we were doing. We started off the year playing against Marist at Marist, so that was not an easy start. Um, And we ended up beating them by uh, like 10 points or something like that and played well. And and then we, you know, we went on a run and ended up the year at 14 and one, and played for the state championship against Langston Hughes. And, of course, they were a really good team. And we had an opportunity that, you know, we really felt like we should have probably won that one if it not be for 58 seconds right at the end of the first half yeah. gave up two scores and had a turnover and so that was one thing that no, we learned and I really had a lot of respect for that senior class and you know they didn't have to believe in what we were doing they didn't have to trust in what we were doing but they did and so you know the next year we came back I told them the first year I got here you know we had to prove everybody wrong second year I was here we got to prove everybody right so once you go to the finals, everybody's looking for you to make it back. And then I think our kids felt like, you know, hey, we want to get back there. But it's a lot harder to get back to that point than it is just saying it. So really like this group we had. And, you know, we started off like we did last year. We went 10-0 regular season, won the region championship, and then we got beaten third round against Woodward Academy, who ended up making it to the state championship game. But, you know, like I said, I, I think you know, the the – maturation process of where we are in our program and how we're growing. Um, You know, we just got to keep getting our numbers up, growing our numbers, um, keep getting these kids in our school involved in football, getting to understand, you know, it's all about the G and there's a pride to that. Um, And there's an ownership and a commitment to that. And I feel like our kids have trusted in that because I'm not a buy-in guy. I don't want guys that buy in because I think they sell out when it gets tough. So, you know, for us, just trusting in what we do, love each other and, and love the, the journey. And, and our kids have done that.
2: What, uh, when you think about year two and year one going in, did you have the same expectations or did it look at you? You were like, all right, here's who we lost. Here's who we brought in. Like the more realistic uh expectations or do you have the same expectations year to year, regardless of what personnel you have? Yeah,
4: I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think first of all, it's expectations that I put on myself. So mm. You know every year i'm trying to do it better than it's ever been done before and so you know when you get to the finals of course from a football perspective and i think we get lost in that a little bit but from a football perspective it was hey we got to find a way to win the last game mm. um you know our goal is to win the opener to win the region and to win the last game and if you're doing that then there's a good chance that you're gonna have a really really good football team well the last two years we've won the opener we've won the region we just hadn't won the last game and so We've got to take that next step, but I think the expectation from year one um, is us doing something that hadn't been done in a while, um, especially with a team that was coming off a five-and-five five mark and never and didn't make it to the playoffs, um, that nobody gave much of a chance. And then we came in here and just said, hey, look, it's all about us. man. it's this room, whatever it's made up of, and this locker room and our staff, I mean, this is all we got. This is all we need, so let's – Let's look to get better every day. We had a lot of shared experiences with each other and we kind of set the tone for the next group. And, you know, we had some good seniors last year that came back from the first group that, you know, were in pivotal positions. You know, the quarterback position, the tight end position, um, you know, the wide receiver position. So we had some guys at some of those spots. You know, we had lost a lot of guys defensively. Um, we had some young guys coming back but we had lost some guys defensively and so you know well as as I do um, you know if you want to win football in November and December you got to be good on defense and you know our staff Steve and our staff did a really really good job of getting our guys ready to go figuring out what our identity is we played really really well on defense this past year so yeah I I think the biggest thing is the expectation was let's go finish it and so you know being that we didn't finish it of course it's disappointing but we had our banquet last week, and I told our guys are champions. I mean, like, I know now I'm not trying to make it sound right, but, I mean, these guys chase best every day. I mean, that's what they work to do. And, uh, you know, we came up a little bit short. I mean, you know, and the thing about it, every year, everybody comes up short except for one team.
2: Mm-hmm. When you talk about culture and what you've been able to establish, like, how would you describe your culture two years in? If we were to ask a player who's now played for you for two years, how would they describe the Gainesville football culture now?
4: Uh, I think they would, you know, just kind of love each other. Um, mm. I think one of the things that we talk about on a day-to-day basis is really, you know, it's our, it's what we call our non-negotiables. And I think that's what our building, our, our building in our in our platform of what we build our foundation off of. And the first one is consistency. You know, it's, and the consistency has the letter I in it that we underline and change different color because we want our kids to understand, like, look, consistency on you. Mm. You got to show up every day. You got to give effort every day. You got to have a great attitude every day. You got to want to be coachable every day. You got to want to treat people the right way every day. So you got to be your best you in order for us to be our best us. And so, Mm. you know, that's one of the things we do is consistency is number one. Number two is trust. You know, we don't have any trust in our building. And it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter what you call on fourth down. It's not going to matter what you call in the red zone. Um, It's not going to matter, you know, what you ask the kids to do or, you know, the, relationship that we have with each other from a staff to a player player to player and coach to coach if we don't have any trust in the building so it all starts with trust and building that and so that's a big part of our program and then the last thing is best you know our kids would tell you that it's all about chasing best in our program so you know best is that first two letters which is the B E. you know is b you know Mm -hmm. i think a lot of times we think chasing best is what you do or what you have but it's really who you are and so do we wake up every day And our opponents say, oh, man, they woke up today. I mean, you know, so like that's that's our goal is, you know, we're going to show up every day, give our best effort, everything that we're doing. You can't flip it on or flip it off. But if people talked about our program, you ask our players, I think the number one thing they'd say, hey, we want to be consistent in what we do. We want to trust each other and then we want to be the best at what we do.
2: What was the hardest part about coaching this year's team versus last year's team for you?
4: I think the biggest thing is there was no expectation the first year as far as outside in. And I think sometimes you can listen to a little bit of the outside noise. I mean, and it wasn't like we were getting just pats on the back or, hey, you are a great team. This Now everybody's like, hey, let's go win it. And yeah. so I think sometimes when you think as a player and as a coach, when you get to that moment and you don't win it, it's almost like you think you're promised to get back there again and get another shot at it. Mm-hmm. And I warned our kids about that from day one. And I think they trusted in what I was saying. So I don't think they they really, you know, looked, in, <laughs> looked into that a whole lot. But I think the thing was, is even in the back of your mind, there's a little bit of entitlement mm-hmm. that when you've played for it, you think you deserve to get back to it, especially when you, you know, we didn't win it the way we didn't win it with not playing well for 58 seconds that, hey, look, it'll just happen again. We'll get back there. And everybody worked their tail off to get us back to that point. We fell up, fell short, but I think that was the biggest thing that i talked about on a day-to-day basis is continuous growth. Like we're not where we want to be yet. All right. Mm -hmm. So if we want to get to that game and get to play that last game, then we got to play every moment. We got to seize the moment, know it's our moment um, and not look too far ahead. Cause I think sometimes you'll uh, you'll sacrifice what you have now for what you want later. And uh you know, we talked about that. I thought our kids did a good job of that. It's hard to go 13. It's hard to go 12 and 0 mm-hmm. um, anytime. And so, you know, that your kids are doing something right and believing in what we're doing, but just guarding against entitlement of, hey, we deserve to get back there. So that's going to happen.
2: What was a game or the game that surprised you the most based on your week of prep and what you thought uh, and how you thought the game was going to go based on like what your personnel you're bringing in there? And then, what actually ended up happening uh in the actual game. What was the one for you?
4: Well, I didn't I mean, I, I thought our region was a little bit down this past year. Um mm. you know, I think, you know, starting the season off, I tell you what it was pretty impressive the more I look at the group that this team that we played against, um, you know, when when we played uh Coconut Creek um huh. out of Florida, mm. you know, I didn't know much about them. I knew they had some guys that were in the NFL and you go back and look at them like You know, I think it was St. Thomas Aquinas beat them out of the playoffs last year, which St. Mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas beats everybody out of the playoffs. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly how good they were going to be. But then we beat them, and we beat them pretty handily. Um, But Mm -hmm. they were very, very good on defense. Um, But I just thought our kids did a really good job. There were some areas we didn't match up as well with, but our kids did a really good job of matching up better than I thought we would. So it gave me a little bit more of an identity of what our personnel was. and then. Once we beat them, you know, you go back and you look, and Milton loses to like Western High School, mm. you know, in Florida when they traveled there. But then all of a sudden, two weeks later, Coconut Creek beats Western. Um, and then they play Chaminade, who, you know, that ended up being like number two team in the country. They played them mm. to a one score game. So that was the one game that I thought was pretty awesome um, for our players that you know, I think was a measuring stick for us early on. I think that was game two. Mm -hmm. Um, But then for us to know by game six or seven, I always look back to see how the teams that we play are doing. Um, And to be able to evaluate that at that point in time and to see how well that team was doing, I think it was a credit to how well we were playing.
2: Do your guys get up more for those kind of games? Like, is that something that's just become like not almost like a playoff game where you're playing some of these better teams all across the country? That it's just it's a rare, it's a unique opportunity uh, for these kids. They is it a different approach and a different kind of vibe on the sidelines for those games? Yeah, I think so. I think you hype
4: it up a little bit more, but like here, they've never really done a lot of out of state games, and so Mm -hmm. this is kind of new for them. Um, Next year, we're going to. Moody, Alabama, who's got some really, really good players, kind of an uprising team in Alabama. And, okay. And, you know, they – their class – I want to say class 5A in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they've got an up-and-coming young coach, um, Jake Gaines, that does an unbelievable job. Um, they've had some kids move in, but they've got some really good players that are, you know, projected to be, you know, high recruits um, that are still young. Um and then going on the road into Alabama, where I'm from, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool also. So, you know, we'll play that game on a Thursday night, which there won't be a lot of football being played on that night. So hopefully there'll be a lot of people there. We'll Hopefully we'll show up and play well. Um, but we'll leave out on that Wednesday and spend the night, and, you know, try to make it a great road trip uh, for our players, something great to experience. So. You know, I think that's highly important for us. So anytime you play those kind of games, yeah, you want them to be amped up. And then, I mean, we're going to have plenty of amped up games this year because we're playing out of our classification, you know, the first four games. I mean, we start off with Marietta game one. Mm. Then we go to Moody game two in Alabama. And then game three is Westlake at Westlake. And then game four is Carrollton. And so, I mean, we're playing some really good talent. And all four of those are on the road because our stadium is getting renovated right now. And so, we will not be able to play inside of it till September the 20th, with, which is our first region game. So, you know, I've got to do a good job as a head coach getting our guys prepared for that. You know, how do we do that? Well, we'll just try to find ways within what we're doing in the offseason to put our kids in as many situations as we can where they don't feel comfortable, just like they're not going to feel comfortable when they go on the road. So somehow you got to get comfortable in the comfortable. And so I think that's what these games are all about.
2: Are you gonna be done? Because we, we've heard about these uh <laughs> these uh stadium uh adjustments and things like that. There's a school here locally, I don't know if you know Gibbs High School. They do uh they're pretty well here in Coryton, but that was a yep. mess. And they, they had to play all of their home games at Carson Newman uh a year yep. ago. So it's man, it, it's tough. So is there any like you feel pretty good that the project's gonna be done, you'll get your home games uh this fall. Yeah, I
4: do. I feel really, really good about it. I mean, I do. Yep. Um you know, I think it's it's one of those situations where right now, I mean, as soon as the season was over with this past year, they, you know, they went into working on it and,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know, so. Uh, what, what are y'all adding? Are y'all
2: adding C, Jumbotron, what's being added?
4: Well, you know, I was trying to see if I could pull it up for you so I could show it to you. Um,
2: uh-huh.
4: Yeah, we're, you know, I think the neatest thing about it, like we've already had a Jumbotron, but I think uh, the, see if I can pull this up for you so you can see it. I don't know if you could see it big enough though. So. Yeah. So I don't know if you could. See, well, let's see. It's kind of.
2: I can see it. Oh, yeah. Blurred, yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah, you yeah. can see. So mm. they've taken the upper deck part off um, uh-huh. and the press box. Um, and then now they're redoing the upper deck. And then the press uh-huh. box will have five suites in it. Um, okay. Also. And so, you know, just it's going to be a neat setup. So we're looking forward to getting into that and, you know, I mean, the weather's got to stay good so you can get plenty of days of work yes. in it, that's for sure. But it's kind of like when I built a house, you know, you ride by there every day, you don't think much is getting done, it's taking it forever, yeah. but yeah. I'm sure there's stuff being done. It's just when you ride by there every day, you can't see a lot of change, so.
2: They see Coach Nibla driving by, they're like, oh, we we got to, yeah. like, you're doing first things, like, I mean, how is the like copyright, coffee- Yeah. Well, how's the coffee routine? We were talking about that last time. You're a big coffee guy. Like, what is the current intake for Coach Tablet? Well, you're
4: catching me at a tough time. So I'm drinking some coffee right now, but this is decaf. So I'm oh. on my 21 days. I'm on my fasting right now. And so okay. I started my fast on Sunday. And so I do like a Daniel fast, but I do no caffeine too. Um, you know, and so it's, yeah, it's interesting. So Monday. Are you getting any Monday headaches?
2: Worst, How are you dealing with it?
4: Well, Monday I had the worst, probably migraine headache that I have one every year and that's when I start my fast and then uh-huh. and I got sick at my stomach sweating. I mean, it was, it was bad. I, you know, I was thinking to myself like all these people that deal with detoxing from drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol things. I mean, I, I I mean, I can't even understand what they go through and I'm, I'm trying to deal with just no caffeine. So, uh, so it's just caffeine,
2: know. but you're not, uh, or is this included in a diet too or is it just caffeine? Your well, detox. no
4: caffeine. I mean, really, I mean, I'm eating vegetables. Okay. You no, know, Fruit, no meat, you know, no, no meat product Yep, no okay. meat, no dairy product. That's probably got a little bit to do with it too, that I'm hurting mm. a little bit. But but you know, I'm getting into, you know, day five, day six. So okay. I'm good. Um, you know, I always tell people say when you fast, if uh you don't have to pray about it, pray help God to help you with it, then it's just mm. a diet. So, you know, for me I've had to pray about it so I could you know, get through a couple of these first few days, but you know, it's just something that I started doing last year and I just felt like I need to do it again this year. And and I think it's a good way to start the year off, but I still love my coffee though. So don't get me wrong.
2: There you go. Were you surprised that uh, Jeremiah T. Lander was able to get on the field a lot this year as a true freshman at UT? Not at all.
4: I just, uh, you know, I know what kind of player he is, but I know most of all, what kind of person he is. So you know what kind of heart he's got, how intentional he is. Um, Mm So I knew if he got an opportunity, he was going to make the most of it. And so, and he has made the most of his opportunities. And I look forward to watching him continue to develop and mature and, you know, through the spring, spring ball and trying to go out there and win a job.
2: What? Who does he remind you the most of as a, as a coach? Like who did, who does he flash as his best potential, full potential uh, at UT?
4: Well, I mean, you're talking about as far as like, remind me of players that i've coached or either players yeah players, players you I've coach tested. or
2: skill set and maybe even nfl players things like that
4: well i think the thing that makes jeremiah so unique is is he's mm. so athletic but he's so physically athletic like it's it's kind of huh. hard to explain like you got athletic players and you got physical players but the special ones are the ones that can be physically athletic and like huh. you know which means he's uses athleticism but he can be physical within that athleticism like if he's if he's coming off the edge and, you know, he's got to be physical with some kind of, you know, whether he's trying to get off a block or he's trying to spill it or box it or whatever, or Mm -hmm. he's got to go make a tackle. He's got to leave his feet. You know, does he have to go, you know, jam a receiver and then go make a play on a ball? You know, all those little bitty things that you have to do from a linebacker position, Mm -hmm. um, I think are highly important. And he plays the position, especially in that conference that, you know, if you don't have that skill, you get exposed and, you know, I think that's the neatest thing about him. Um, but I think I would have to really, really get to know somebody else because it's hard for me to compare him to mm-hmm. anybody else. Marlon Humphrey, who played for me huh. um, at Uber that plays for the Ravens. Now, he's kind of a DB, safety, covers everybody's best player. Um, but a lot of linebackers
2: are having to do that now.
4: Yeah. Well, he had that same kind of intentionality, um, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to be coached hard every day at practice. Um You know, would always work on stuff in between drills. Um, The thing about Jeremiah was as soon as we stepped foot on the field, I mean, he was intense from stretch all the way to the sprints at the end of practice. I mean, like it never changed. If we were in a weight room, it's the same thing. He just tackles everything in life with attention to detail, and he's intentional about what he does, and he's focused in. I mean, it's a focus. I mean, that's what he is. He's just a very focused and driven kid, knows what he wants to do, knows where he wants to go, and uh, knows how he wants to try to get there.
2: I like it. Uh Vols are in good hands in the linebacker room there. Uh, he's a good player, yeah. man. I'm I'm excited. He's uh he's gonna be a good good guy going into next year too. Um what position group are you most hyped about this spring? Maybe it's because of a position battle, but when you're thinking about the depth chart and your roster for next year, what uh this spring has you most hyped personnel wise?
4: Well, I think I think I mean I think anytime you lose your starting quarterback, mm. um then I mean I think always when that room's competitive. And there's a competition in that room. It only makes your team better. Um, and so I'm excited about seeing who comes out of that room. Um, you know, I think offensive line. I'm excited about that because I think this year we're going to be bigger than we ever have been. Um, so I think there's some great potential there. Of course, we got to, you know, we got to put it all together and and be able to do the things that we need to do to be successful up front. I like that because that's going to mm. be a competition because we got a lot of depth in that room. Um, and then watching our guys on the back end, the defensive back end and the linebackers, I think, I think they've got some depth. I think we've got some potential there. we got some guys that haven't played a whole lot that, you know, we're excited about getting a chance to evaluate. Um, and then we got some guys that are coming back from last year that made some plays that, you know, really got to play more at the end of the year uh, than they did in the first of the year. So I'm excited to see their maturation continue to grow um, and make sure they're where they're supposed to be growing and trying to push the envelope, push the edge a little bit, continue to chase best. And, so I'm excited about those groups because I think that's highly important. And so that's why I don't really mention names. I mean, just yeah. because it's not about the names in the room, you know, it'll be about the name once the name decides, hey, it's my job. Um, but right now it's about competition. And, uh, and we want to make sure in those rooms that we're competing and everybody's trying to win a job. And so, you know, we call it spring with a ring chasing <laughs> training. But mm-hmm. for me, it's really it's really job training. You know, it's, it's, I mean, who wants to win the job? And so, uh, you know, the more we continue to take our numbers chase to another level, like we start getting our numbers up in our rooms, mm-hmm. then it just creates competition. It's kind of like in Oregon right now when Dan Lanning was talking about two quarterbacks. You know, yeah. when, you know, when you have Gabriel and, and then uh, Ward come mm-hmm. or not Ward, um, Thomas. Uh, his, the yeah.
2: The four yeah, star when kid. Yeah. Got, Thomas. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Well, you got both those kids coming to the same place. And you know that, hey, both of them are really good players. But Mm -hmm. then one of them knows that, hey, one of us ain't going to play. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to have a two-quarterback system. Now, they might play two quarterbacks the first three games to see who wants to win the job. Mm -hmm. But that's because they want to compete. And so I think that's one thing we miss in college football right now, and we're starting to miss it in high school football because kids are moving to school so much, is just want to wake up every day and be a competitor, man. Wake up every day and compete. like. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we're living in a world where we just want to find an easy way out all the time. And, yeah. uh, you know, life ain't always easy, you know, like you got to work for stuff. And, and I always tell people all the time, the only thing that's worth having in life is what you work for. And, uh, and if you don't have to work for it, it's not going to last. Um, yeah. it may bring you a little bit of delight for a little while, but it ain't going to last. And so, uh, you know, that's the one thing I've always thought, you know, about, all of our players is, is if you play in our program you're going to work hard you're going to mm-hmm. have a work ethic you're going to go when you get a job you're going to be a great husband one day you're going to be a great father one day you're going to take care of your family uh, and you're going to be a leader in your community
2: i love it uh final question here for you today coach classification region changes here um you're now in region seven uh in 5a and yep. You've got two big dogs here, and I've had them yep. both on this program, and uh, obviously Milton, who we alluded to here at the top. I mean, Tennessee's got all three corners from Milton uh, committed uh, to this program going into 2025, but you got Milton, and then you have a great offensive coach and Chris Pruitt over there at Roswell. They've got a great program over there. What are you most excited about uh, when you look at this new region, new classification for your group?
4: Well, I'm just excited about the competition. I mean, I am. I'm excited High quality. About- <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, and the thing about it is you come out of this region, I mean, and you, you come out of the first four that we're playing, yeah. um and you're in the playoffs, then you know you're battle tested. So yes. I mean, I don't I mean, I don't see how you're gonna see that many people that's gonna be that much better than what you're seeing during the regular season. So I take a lot of I take a lot of pride in that. Um, mm. you know, when I was at Hoover, I mean, we want to play everybody, you know, we want yeah. to play the best teams we can play. I mean, that's the only way you're gonna find a way to get better. I mean, now and all of a sudden you're playing the 7a state champion who's not 7a anymore they're 5a mm-hmm. you know and you know so we got to play them and then you got roswell who we played in the semifinals last two years ago mm-hmm. um and then there's other teams within that region like lanier i mean last year i mean i think they lost what one or two games yeah. um and so you know we played them really for the region title and they ended up second they won a first round game got to the second round so you know they're expecting to be do good and then then everybody else is looking to have better seasons and so you're Mm going to get everybody's best so you know I think it's gonna be a lot of high-level football um and so you know we'll be a lot of high-level players a lot of high-level coaches um and so we just got to make sure we're one of those teams that are playing at a high level
2: I like it coach how do the good folks support Gainesville football this spring and everything you got going on uh, in Hall County
4: Well, I just want everybody, you know, it's, you know, we'll have some things going on to where, you know, people can get involved in our booster club and, you know, our athletic club in Gainesville and, you know, our touchdown club. And, you know, we'll do some stuff with our, you know, our people around businesses around here where we just try to get people involved with what we're doing because we got a great thing going on right here. And, you know, we just want, you know, as much support we can because it's all about, you know, giving these kids as many opportunities as we can to be successful. And, you know, and it takes, takes those things where everybody's rallying together and chasing best. And, you know, and that's what we got to do. So, you know, we're looking forward to continue the off season and got to grow it and uh, continue to take this thing to another level.
2: There you go. Good luck this spring coach. I'm excited to see what your three looks like for you and Gainesville. And we'll reconnect again uh, as we get closer to uh, the, the high school football season, which will be here before you know it. I know it's January and these months fly by. And uh, this is uh, a big time for a lot of the uh, programs yourself included to figure out this personnel get ready for summer installs and all that and we'll go from there but coach thank you so much and uh, i'll talk to you again soon
4: thanks chase appreciate you brother god bless you go be red
2: there you go
0: <laughs> nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah